Fitness Drive podcast, you are here with Lydia Mackay, physiotherapist, and today I'm going to be chatting to you all about Achilles tendinopathy or pain on the back of your heel slash back of your lower leg. So thank you so much for being here. If you're new to the show, this is the Strongest Drive podcast where we interview an array of guests every fortnight and Every other week, we have a solo episode with either myself or Sophie Lane. So today, you're stuck with me. As you probably would have noticed by the title, we are chatting about Achilles tendinopathy, what to do if you've got a pain on the back of your heel, what not to do, and how you can prevent it. Or maybe you're just going to get some hot tips to give your running pal who has an Achilles tendinopathy. Now, before I get into it, I'm going to just give you guys a little life update and hamstring update because... I think overall, I'm going to say very good. I feel like I'm moving in the right direction, although it is not without its challenges, physically and mentally, as all injuries come with. Uh, Pretty much, I returned to the gym over the weekend. I found a new gym, which is super exciting, and I have been really loving training there. And I'm just getting back to just my normal squatting, my normal Bulgarian split squats, Uh, lunging, just like all my normal exercises that I do at the gym, which I've kind of just like put on the back seat and like been doing them body weight, but just like predominantly doing all my hamstring focused rehab. So like my long lever bridges, my hammy tantrums, my um, RDLs, my single leg RDLs, like all these like very specific hammy stuff. And this week I've like finally sort of returned to like my normal gym program, which is so, 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 so nice. And I feel kind of like me again, which is really nice. I didn't feel like before that I wasn't me, but now that I've just gone back to like my normal gym routine, I'm like, oh, Lydia's back. Like I am back. I'm still doing some like specific hammy stuff. Like I'm doing a bit of a warm up pre-run, like just some RDLs, like literally just body weight around the house and then some isometrics. And then a couple of times a week at work, I'm doing some weighted long lever bridges. So just like a bridge, but your legs a little bit longer out and elevated. So up on a step and weighted RDLs. So I'm doing a few little specific hammy things still throughout the week. But then really my just regular gym program is kind of like feeding that space and then obviously at the end stage of any injury and for me because it was a a tenderness injury it's important to restore plyometric capacity which we're going to be talking about all this episode so it's quite fitting and I actually think I might do another episode in the future or not another an episode in the future about hamstring tears and tendon tendon injuries injuries tendon injuries and probably more specifically a proximal hammy tendinopathy injury uh, just because I think it might be valuable for you guys because it's definitely a runner's injury so let me know if that would be of value to you because I think I think every runner should know more about tendons and more about rehabbing injuries but anyway back to what I was trying to say basically I'm sort of at that point where I'm restoring plyometric capacity so that end stage of rehab you've built your strength So for me, I've been testing my strength on our um, force plates at work and our dyneometers. So I can see that my strength is equal left and right. But what I haven't equaled is my power. So I'm not yet able to produce that force rapidly. And I'm also not able to produce that force in a plyometric capacity. So uh, movements like running are a plyometric movement. So hence why my hip is still getting a little bit irritated when I'm running or hip, when I say hip, hamstring. Uh, and yeah, for the moment, I'm pretty much still running mostly on the flat, a few heels sprinkled into my week. Um, but what I'm realizing is my hamstring still just isn't quite ready for heels in a long run setting. Cause like there's already the fatigue of the long run and it's not handling um, like, yeah, like trail runs where there's just like that constant up and down nor does it like sitting for prolonged periods which fortunately I don't do much of that so that's good Uh, but pretty much my exercises now that I'm working on are things like kettlebell swings and hammy tantrums so those two basically require you to produce force quite rapidly in the hamstring and help to restore the tendon capacity so yeah super important for my hammy and you know I'm enjoying the process because It is allowing me to experience something that I commonly treat in the clinic, yet I hadn't had personal experience of, well, I mean, I had told my hammy before, but not not exactly like this. So 
yeah, it's good. It's a good lesson. It's a good learning curve. And I'm enjoying the process. And I'm at that point now where I'm going back to like speedy training. So I think the fact that I can do that, that sort of like fills my cup a lot. And then also just being back in the gym, doing like my regular gym program makes me feel really good. So even though I'm not on the trails, I'm very excited with where I'm at in my rehab journey. And although it is still on my mind almost every day or not almost every single day, I am less aware of it than I was at the start. So we've come a long way. All right, that is enough about the hamstring updates. Uh, There's not really much else to say um, aside from let's get right into today's episode. Now, amazing, amazing episode today, obviously, because it's a solo episode by myself and you know, you guys are all here stoked to listen and learn. So firstly, thank you for being here. And secondly, have a pen and paper ready because we're going to be going through quite a lot of detail in today's episode. In saying that, I'm going to try and keep it as short and concise as possible because I think that you will get more out of this if I stick to the most important things and not waffle on with extra <laughs> extra bits and pieces. So let's see how I go. Um, we're talking about Achilles tendinopathy. Now, First and foremost, I'm going to explain to you what it is, um, a little bit about the anatomy, and then what an actual tendinopathy is. And then we're going to go through the risk factors, training considerations, training errors, the types of training things that might actually just increase that load on the Achilles, and then just other considerations, uh, which you know some you may already know of, some might surprise you. And then we'll talk about the diagnosis, like how you actually get diagnosed and what things you can look out for. And then we will talk about symptom management because obviously we're all here to avoid Achilles tendon pain or Achilles tendinopathy. So I'm going to talk to you about how you can get out of pain quick. And then of course, we're going to go on to the most important part, which is that long-term rehab or long-term treatment, because it's one thing to get out of pain and it is another thing to actually treat the Achilles tendon. So that is what we are covering in today's episode. And without further ado, I'm going to get straight into it. So Achilles tendinopathy, formerly known as Achilles tendonitis. Now, Achilles tendonitis suggests that there is inflammation in a tendon. And we don't really use that term anymore because there isn't always inflammation. Sometimes there can be inflammation and that is usually associated with an irritated bursa, which there is a bursa at the, it's called the retrocalcaneal bursa and it is right at the base of the Achilles. But we're not really talking about that today. That may coexist with an Achilles tendinopathy, but when we're chatting about a pure Achilles tendinopathy, we're talking about a pathology or an injury or a sickness to the Achilles tendon, which is this like thick cartilaginous or cartilaginous cartilaginous tissue on the back of our lower leg. So it is essentially made up of our calf muscle and it connects our calf muscle to our heel. So calf muscle being our gastrocnemius and our soleus, which I've spoken about in detail on previous episodes, they are the muscles below our knee, between our knee and our heel. And I think, look, I think most calves know, calves, I think most runners know what the calf is, but if you don't, this is what it is, the gastrocnemius and the soleus, and they work to plantar flex our foot. Plantar flex or plantar flexion just means, well, I would used to have called it point the foot because I used to be a ballerina, but I don't think runners call it pointing the foot. I think it's just like bringing the foot down uh, or if you're standing upright, like to when you plantar flex your foot, you bring your heels up off the ground. So plantar flexors will raise our heel. They'll point our toe essentially. And what else do they do? They will help to propel us forward when we run. And fun fact, the Achilles tendon is the thickest tendon in the human body. So this tendon is going to connect these strong plantar flexors to the calcaneus or the heel. So that big bony thing at the bottom of your foot, the back of your foot, the heel, uh, that's where the Achilles tendon inserts. So if you are listening to this while you're running, uh, don't stop. But after you run, you can feel down the back of your calf and feel where the bottom of the calf becomes this sort of like thick band. And you can sort of put your um, thumb and index finger sort of around it and feel it. And if you give it a little bit of a squeeze Hopefully it's not tender because a normal Achilles tendon should not be tender. And whilst I'm recording this, I'm actually feeling my Achilles tendon and I'm feeling both of them. 
And you know what? They both feel really good. I should touch wood because I've actually never had, well, I have once had Achilles pain, um, but I'm going to say pretty much never had a true Achilles tendinopathy. So maybe I'm lucky or maybe I'm just managing my load well. I'm not sure, but I will go through later on the risk factors and maybe you guys can tell me why I haven't had one. Uh, You'll probably have all the answers very soon. So stay tuned. All right. So continuing on with those, with the anatomy. So plantar flexors, they are the most important running muscle. Now, That sounds like a very strong statement, but I'm prepared to back that up with science because the plantar flexors take up to eight times our body weight. And when we think about that, that is a lot. Now, I'm not the best at maths, but, you know, I probably weigh around 60 kilos, eight times 60. Look, I'm not entirely sure what it is, but it is a lot of weight, like 400, 500 kilos, something like that. I'm not sure, but it's a lot. Uh, Now, when we compare that, you might think, oh, but isn't that just normal when we're running gravity acting on the body? But no, the quads and hamstrings take far less. So you think quads are probably going to take around five times our body weight, hamstrings, hip flexors, three to four times our body weight. So the plantar flexors being the calf or soleus, which connect into the Achilles tendon. So it's all that sort of continuous tissue taking a lot and a lot of weight. So super important. Now, when I say eight times our body weight, consider too that it is going to be dependent on how you run, the terrain you're running on, the speed you're running, blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to go into that in a little bit. Now, the tendon has a very important role when we run. So obviously we know it connects to our plantar flexors, which are the most important muscles when we run. Uh, But the Achilles tendon actually has a huge importance or a huge role in absorbing our ground reaction forces so at initial contact it actually stretches out and absorbs our ground reaction forces and then as we go into mid stance it's actually under the most load so i think typically or maybe maybe in the past we used to think of the achilles tendon under the most load when our foot was i guess in like full dorsiflexion which means toes really high and sort of like dropping over the bottom of a step or um, even at initial contact when our toe is up and our heels down on the ground because the Achilles is stretched out in that position. And yes, it does work hard in that position because it's absorbing ground reaction forces, but it's actually at mid stance that it takes the most load. And if you were to watch a runner or like film a runner, pause the running video and try and get it paused right when the run is in mid stance, you'd see that often uh, we're actually in quite a dorsiflex position. So quite often that knee is tracking either in line with like the middle of our foot or sometimes right to the end of our toes and sometimes even over our toes. So think that knees over toes type squat position. So if you were to just look at that position, you're about to see that the calf is on a lot of stretch and hence the Achilles is going to be on a lot of stretch. So that's when we have the most load in our Achilles tendon and that, I mean, gosh, do you even need to know that? Well, you know what? I just explained that to you. Uh, And later on, when I go through training considerations, um, it'll make a little bit more sense about why that part of the gait cycle is important. So yes, that is when it's under the most load. And for when our Achilles tendon is working really well, it actually helps to improve our running economy. So a tendon should be acting like a spring. Uh, essentially, it needs to store and release energy. So when we think about that initial contact, we get that stretch through our tendon. The tendon then has to sort of recoil and release that energy, which it has just absorbed. And if the tendon can't do that, then we are likely going to increase our risk of injury or just decrease our running economy, which no one wants to decrease their running economy. Something that I think... I used to get quite confused about and I still have to remind myself because some of the older literature actually has this all a bit modeled up but stiffness in our Achilles tendon is actually something that is a good thing and something that we promote I think often the word stiff has like a bit of a bad reputation and people think oh like I'm stiff and my hips are stiff and my legs are stiff but we actually want our Achilles tendon to be stiff because the stiffness helps it to act like a spring and it helps it to store and release that energy and that is the role of the Achilles so if it can't store and release energy if it's not acting like a spring then it's not a very stiff tendon so the opposite of stiff would be compliant and Coming back to the mid stance, like I was mentioning before, when we think about the Achilles tendon being under the most load, mid stance, middle of the run, 
if we see that knee is tracking really far over our toes, so that knees over toes squat type pattern, that would suggest potentially a really increased compliance or a not so stiff tendon. There may be issues further up the chain. So I'm just ignoring all those potential other issues and risk factors or factors, but that might just on its own, looking sort of from the hip down and thinking about where that knee is in line with our toes or knee is in relation to our foot. If it is really far over the toes, it could suggest that increased compliance or lack of stiffness and therefore potentially that tendon is not working well to store and release energy. So I guess that could be something that you might try out. You might get someone to film you running and have a little look at your position in mid stance. Now, I should say that... I mean, I should have said this at the start of the episode, but I'm going to mention it later again. I'll probably mention it multiple times because I don't want to get in trouble. But basically, guys, this episode is not meant to diagnose you personally and is not meant to act as individualized treatment because the most important thing about any injury is actually seeking professional advice from an expert. And the absolute best option for that would be seeking an expert who is a physio, but not just any physio, but a physio who specializes in runners because they're going to be able to individualize your treatment, but also take into consideration the loads of running, which is a little bit different to potentially other sports or even just other activities that might cause an Achilles tendinopathy. All right, moving on. So we know the role of Achilles. We know where it is. We know a bit about the anatomy. Uh, I'm just going to mention in here uh, an article which I thought explained or not if do I call it an article a blog post by one of our friends from the show sports Cairo Luke as he is known on Instagram uh Luke is just absolutely fantastic when it comes to anything running related I'd highly recommend his website for fantastic blog posts on running injuries and then also his Instagram for just like some really great practical running content and like things that you can do at home really just absolutely fantastic but I'm gonna read a little thing that he put on his website which to me I thought was just the best explanation of what a compliant tendon is compared to what a stiff tendon is and getting your brain to understand why it's important for our tendon to be stiff compared to compliant so all right here we go let me read it out to you it sounds confusing but very easy to understand when you think of tendons as elastic bands Compliant tendons are like stretchy, thin elastic bands. They stretch a lot even with the slightest force or slightest pull and we will recoil to release energy. But due to their excessive stretch, they'll recoil with reduced speed and force and such as if you were to try and flick a thin overstretch elastic band at a mate. Stiff tendons are like thick elastic bands. They stretch less when pulled and we recoil faster with speed and force so um a thick elastic band oh yeah think of a thick elastic band being flicked across a room okay so that is what luke says uh basically the summary of that is i mean look i'm just thinking in my head like imagine that really thick strong elastic band you like flick it and it just goes (laughs) all the way across the room but a little like thin floppy one it's too floppy and it just isn't really going to go anywhere. So essentially the stiffer tendon is, the more efficient we are at transferring energy. And running is all about getting from A to B more efficiently and faster potentially uh, and without leaking energy. That's often a way I like to think about it. Uh, and so if our tendon is stiff, we're going to transfer energy efficiently uh, and we're going to be spending less time wasting energy and also less time on the ground because we know that those floppy tendons, those compliant tendons, we actually spend more time on the ground, which guys, as a runner, we're not meant to be just chilling out on the ground. We're meant to be up in the air flying forward and getting to the finish line so you know and obviously stopping to smell the roses as we should because running should be enjoyable yada yada you guys know all that good stuff all right so that is a bit about the achilles and about the role of a tendon um probably just good to note that there are two main types of achilles tendinopathies one is mid portion and one is insertional now the name just describes it so mid portion it's you know the ten- the tendon's um, you know, it stretches a couple centimeters long, obviously dep- different for each person, but mid portion is going to be like somewhere in the middle of the tendon. Um, and insertional is going to be where the Achilles inserts on the calcaneus. So 
it is important to distinguish between the two because your symptoms are going to vary a little bit. Overall, the management at the end stage or like mid and end stage is pretty similar. But in that early stage, and I guess when considering like potential for relapse or a reoccurrence, I don't know if you call it relapse, tendon Achilles relapse, um, but those sorts of things, the type of tendinopathy, it is definitely worth noting because they will act a little bit different. So the insertial Achilles tendinopathy is going to be more irritated when we actually have compressive loads. So compressive loads mean that, I mean, there's two types of compression. There's compression of an external force onto the Achilles. And essentially it presses that Achilles firm against the calcaneus. So it is pressing a tendon, a tendon, a tender structure, a sensitive structure, I should say, or a sensitized structure against a hard bone so like the bottom of your achilles it's sore it's angry it's injured it's not happy and it's getting jammed up against a bone and that can happen because we are potentially in increased dorsiflexion so my knee is going over my toe when i'm running potentially due to increased tendon compliance which you guys know what that means now Uh, or it could be uh, because of my footwear, potentially I'm in a zero drop shoe. And so there is just a greater range through my ankle. And so I'm getting into more dorsiflexion. Uh, it could be because I'm running up a hill and I'm going into more dorsiflexion because could be because I'm dropping my heel over a step on trail run. Um, or the other way, so that's about the position of my ankle, which is creating compression of that tendon against the bone, or it could be an external pressure, which might be something like footwear actually pressing firm against the outside of my Achilles and then just pressing it onto the bone. Okay. Uh, So hopefully that makes sense. Whereas a mid portion, it's not really going to have so much irritation uh, related to compression because you don't really get as much compression with a mid portion slash there's not really anywhere the tendon to get compressed aside from in between your fingers. If you're like, oh, is my Achilles sore? And you like squeeze it, ow, of course that's going to hurt. So uh, it's not really going to be irritated by that really jamming sort of dorsiflexion type position. Uh, just a reminder, dorsiflexion is when your toes come up, if you're not following that or if you haven't Googled it or if you don't know. Uh, and yeah, so it's not going to be as irritated by that end range dorsiflexion because the tendon just isn't going to get compressed anywhere. Okay. So they're the main two things. Um, I wouldn't be too worried about that. I think those things I would leave more to your physio because honestly, if you, I mean, if you're interested, it's awesome to know. And honestly, like power to you, the more you know about the body, the better. Well, I think so. Um, but probably with regard to like actually trying to flesh out, oh, when's it getting loaded? When's it getting irritated? I just go to your physio, I'd, I'd, I'd tell them about what's going on and they're going to be able to make some decisions um, based on you as an individual and consider things that are greater beyond just exactly where it is. But I did think that was important to mention because, you know, compression is an irritating factor for an Achilles and regardless of where the pain is, um, it's not going to like being compressed. So it's just important to note that if you're trying to reduce your symptoms or get yourself out of pain, Really important to consider what type of uh, tendinopathy it is. All right, so moving on. So we're going to be talking about the risk factors now. And you've probably got a bit of an idea because I've sort of hinted and mentioned a few times throughout the episode already about the sort of things that may increase the risk of an Achilles tendinopathy. Now, probably worth mentioning that running injuries are multifactorial and there really isn't just one thing that's going to cause a running injury and there isn't also any single biomechanical factor that is going to 100% or you know not 100% but like there is not one single biomechanical factor that is actually proven to increase our injury risk so if someone says to you this thing in your running is causing injury unfortunately that's not right I hate to be that person calling out people but at the same time, it's important to know that because it's just not true. Like humans are far more complex than that and injuries are far more complex. And there really isn't just one single thing that you are doing that's wrong or whatever that's causing an injury. It is multifactorial. Okay, coming back to some more, more I guess, practical risk factors. So with running injuries, they are pretty much caused by excessive loading. And 
I know I've just said there's no one thing. Um, I, I did say that and that's true. Uh, but <laughs> I guess the caveat here is tendons don't like to be surprised and they also don't like to be given too much load that they weren't prepared for. So training errors are usually down to doing too much too soon. So essentially overloading a tendon. Uh, When we think about how we can get into that tendinopathy type state, it's important to consider your training. So that is probably the number one thing that I'd be considering. How much training you're doing, your volume of training, your intensity of your training and the type of training we're going to go into that in more detail in a second Um, and then the next part of it so we've talked about the load on the actual tendon and we're talking about doing too much because uh, it is going to be too much if you've got a tendinopathy whatever it was you did was too much for that tendon but the next part of that is actually the tendon capacity because if you haven't got good tendon capacity your ability to handle load is going to be reduced or limited so whilst I've said obviously you've done too much, your too much could look very different to another person. Like for instance, at the moment, um, my running volume is probably like, I'm probably at a good amount right now. Like my body quite comfortably handles around 70 ish kilometers a week. And that is awesome. And I'm stoked. But I also know that I do tend to get a little bit of a niggling perineal tendon when I bump my volume up just that little bit more. So when I exceed beyond 90Ks, at least recently, um, I've had a little bit of a niggle pop up in one of my tendons and that's okay. That is just exceeding my tissue's capacity. Now, coming back to tissue capacity, somebody else might be able to run 120Ks a week and not have any issues with their perineal tendon nor their Achilles tendon. And that is because their tissue's capacity is potentially greater than mine. So that tendon has adapted and and remodeled to handle a greater amount of training load or training volume or training intensity or training style or whatever it is that that person is putting onto their tendon so capacity and load we're always just trying to balance those two two out and essentially if our capacity is decreased we can't handle much load and if our capacity is increased we can handle more load so depending on where you are in your strength and your running journey will sort of depend how much you can handle uh other things biomechanical uh we're going to talk about that in a little bit Um, but yes there are a few biomechanical factors although not one single factor that will increase any specific injury but yes there are some things you can consider other things like psychological considerations and then obviously physiological considerations so talking about the actual health of the tendon so your yeah tendons made up of cartilage and when we progress into end stage or like that degenerative type stage of a tendinopathy which means you've had a tendinopathy for quite a long time the tendon becomes degenerative and so the physiology actually changes so our capacity has now really decreased because of that physiology but I guess you'd probably just group that under tissue capacity all right so coming into the chat about volume and training load and training errors we know that tendons basically don't like having a surprise so if we give them too much then if we give them too much too soon they won't be happy so more load than they're used to is not a good idea Uh, and sometimes we increase our our load and we also reduce our capacity and things that might reduce our capacity could be like um, poor sleep poor diet poor mental health poor energy availability Um, I guess yeah they're probably the main things history injury history uh, yeah that's probably it now when we think about the forces as a runner. So we know that too much volume is obviously going to be bad for our Achilles or it's going to increase our risk of Achilles tendinopathy. Um, But how about we look a little bit more closely at what our actual training is made up of? So things in our training that can increase our risk of Achilles tendinopathy is basically going to be any type of training that places an increased load on our plantar flexors. So plantar flexors being the muscle group that is under the most force when we run and it is the muscles that help to lift our heel up off the ground. They propel us forward, they accept our load, 
they they're working pretty bloody hard when we run so anything that places more load than plantar flexors places more load in the achilles tendon because the achilles tendon is attached to those plantar flexors so naturally when they work harder achilles tendon works harder things that are going to increase this are our training intensity so when we run faster we actually put more load like a significant more load every time we go a bit faster it's just more load under the achilles so Often when people think about sprinting, they're like, oh yeah, like my quads start working harder, my hamstrings work harder. Yes, they do. But predominantly we increase our running speed by actually increasing the work through our calves or our plantar flexors. So speed work is going to increase that load. Next one will be incline running. So anytime we run up a hill, more load under the Achilles or on the plantar flexors. Other ones would be things like forefoot running and minimalist footwear. And I would say minimalist footwear probably because it tends to mimic more forefoot running. Now, these things are not bad. Obviously, obviously they aren't. Like how could running fast and running on hills be a bad thing overall? When we think about like elite or professional runners, they all do hill work and they all do speed work. So it's not that these things are inherently bad or that they're damaging to our Achilles, but it's just that they place an increased work on the Achilles. So if we are considering avoiding injury if we're considering why we got injured if we have somehow rapidly increased the workload of our Achilles so let's say we normally do all flat running and then one week we decide that we're going to become a hill runner and we do all hill running uh, it wouldn't be too surprising if that Achilles popped up popped up became painful you know Uh, because obviously we've just started doing more Achilles work so the Achilles wasn't used to it it didn't prepare for it Um, you didn't increase your tissue capacity you just increased the tendons workload and if we haven't increased our capacity ready to handle the workload that we're about to give it then we're going to end up in pain or end up with a dysfunctional or tendinopathy Achilles a tendinopathy Achilles Uh, an Achilles tendinopathy it's probably worth mentioning too that uh, forefoot striking is not bad. It just places more load on the Achilles tendon. So if you normally strike with a heel and someone said, oh, land on your forefoot, it's better, it's faster, it's more economical, uh, and you're not used to that, you will just load up that Achilles tendon more. Now, there's no right or wrong way to run. You can run however you want, however your heart desires. But if you have not built tissue capacity to handle that load, then you are likely going to run into trouble. And yes, that was an intended pun. So enjoy that. All right, moving on. So we have a bit of an understanding of what things in our training to look out for. So, you know, you're going for a run and you start getting this pain on the back of your heel and you're like, why has this happened to me? Why? I don't deserve it, blah, blah, blah. You can go, well, hang on a second. I started doing speed work and I'd never done speed work before. I So, you know, you've added a change. You, I started doing heel work. Or you could be like, actually, my capacity has dropped. I've stro- I've stopped doing strength work or I didn't get any sleep last week or whatever it is and your capacity's dropped, blah, blah, blah. All right, you guys get the gist. We're going to move on. How can we actually diagnose our Achilles tendinopathy? Now, go and see a physio. Please go and do it. Book in right now. If you've got pain on the back of your heel or that thick band on the back of the bottom of your calf, guys, see someone who is a runner and treats these injuries because a runner will be able to help you your best if you are a runner. Now, if you don't book in to see a physio and you're like, ah, I'm just going to read up and sort myself out. Well, at least you're here listening to me because I'm going to give you some hot tips. So firstly, how do you know if it's an Achilles tendinopathy? Well, you're going to be looking out for a tendon type pain pattern. Now, tendons a very, uh, well, I'm going to say easy to diagnose, I guess. I mean, not always. It, it sometimes can be more complex, but typically tendons have a very consistent type pain pattern. So they really like being warm and they really don't like being cold. They don't like being compressed. They don't like being pushed on. They don't like being massaged, um, but they tend to feel quite good when we're running and really bad after. So uh, I think... Um, we we had a guest on who explained it so well and I'm trying to remember who it was someone said it and I was like oh this is gold he said Achilles tendons or tendons it's like having a hangover so when you're drinking alcohol you feel really good but the next day you have a hangover so that is a really typical tendon type pain pattern so really sore and you have this like you know 
like effect after where you're like, oh, damn it, I've done too much. So often at the start of the run, they're quite sore and it might take a few minutes to warm up. It might take a few kilometers to warm up. Sometimes you might even just get pain in the morning when you're walking, getting out of bed. Um, But then once you start running, you get warm and you're like, oh, I actually feel good. I think this pain is gone. Like, I don't even think I'm an injured. I don't even think I'm an injured. I don't think I have an injury. I'm great. I'm thriving. And then the next day or a couple hours later, you're like, ah, I can hardly walk. So that is how tendons tend to respond. Um, And obviously other things to think about, because I've just explained to you, the more load we give them, the angrier they get. So more load will be things like upper heel, running faster, running in a flat shoe, a minimalist shoe, um, running barefoot, even walking barefoot probably going to put more load on the Achilles tendon. Uh, yeah, so just think anytime we will load the or there's more work required from the plantar flexors, it's just more load in that Achilles tendon. Uh, yeah, so on a cellular level, um, the diagnosis could be made with an ultrasound and what you might actually see is this sort of disarray of collagen fibers because we know that our tendons are made up of collagen fibers and when we have tendinopathy, they become all sort of, disarrayed and 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 I guess mixed up and not aligned how they normally would be and that is usually in that sort of second to third stage of a tendinopathy that tendon disrepair stage or a degenerative type tendinopathy in the early stage you don't normally see anything on an ultrasound okay uh that's not the end of the world as well guys you know um, the body is so adaptable and even if we do have signs of changing tendon or degenerative tendon on an image it doesn't actually mean that the game is over and it doesn't mean that you can't run uh, it just means you've got some degenerative changes and that's fine we we all start um, degenerating at some point in our life so that's just a part of life um, we grow up and then we grow old all right symptom management or symptom modification so when we have this pain obviously we want to get out of pain now runners tend not to be great at listening to pain and in particular with a tendon I think they're quite hard to listen to because they warm up and they tend to feel quite good when we are running it's often hard to go oh like I need to stop running because you're like well I feel pretty good when I run it's just when I'm warming up or it's just the first couple of k's so things that we can do to sort of like help us run the most pain-free and I'm going to explain a little bit about like the proper management but first I'm going to give you those like little things that you might be able to do in that early stage when you're you know maybe you're in a little bit of denial or maybe you're just trying to like modify a few things to get you out of pain so things that I would do firstly if I've just got a little bit of a pain there I'm going to straight away go into my all right protect Achilles mode so that is going to be getting into a higher pitch shoe so I'm, I'm going to get rid of my minimalist shoes. I'm not going to wear them. Um, in fact, and I've even done this as well, like when I've had a little bit of um, pain in my perineal, which is also a plantar flexor muscle, I go, I don't wear my minimalist shoes to work because typically I wear a minimal shoe, but I will throw them out. I won't throw them out. I'll just put them back on my shelf and I'll wear my shoes with a higher pitch. So a high heel toe drop and that will just help offload my plantar flexor muscle. So they just get a little bit of a break throughout the day. So that's just my walking. I'm not even changing my running, but you might change that in your running as well if you do wear a flatter, more minimal shoe. You might consider trying to do a bit of a heel strike. Now, be careful with this. Um, Warning advised, because if we do change our biomechanics, we will then just load a different area. Okay, so we're going to offload the Achilles. We might load up the knee, we might load up the hip, we might load up the hamstrings, the quads, the glutes blah 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 so we can never get rid of load we can only shift load so just remember that we're not magically removing the load at all it's just shifting it away from an area that's a little bit sensitized and sore Uh, you can also try things like avoiding any heel hugging shoes so if you have got that insertional achilles tendinopathy i would try and get out of shoes as much as possible or like any heel hugging shoes when you can so like in your day-to-day don't wear something that's gripping around the back of your heel you can also try some k-tape so kinetic tape dynamic tape Uh, I've worked I've worked I've found that has worked really well to help just get people out of pain so if you're really struggling just walking around uh, why don't you just give that Achilles a bit of help so a bit of k-tape can actually really help uh, offload that Achilles a little bit in the short term and help return you to just some pain-free day-to-day activities. Um, Other things too, obviously avoiding heels, running much slower, uh, and even just adding in some more rest days or breaking up your run. So maybe you're really set to train for this marathon and you're trying to hit 50Ks a week. You might go, look, 
I can't handle 30Ks of running on Sunday, but I'm going to do more frequent running, but just shorter runs to uh, give that tendon a little bit more recovery time in between our runs. So that's what we can do in the short term and probably even in the longer term, uh, as long as it coincides with some proper rehab. Because those things that I've just given you aren't actually fixing the problem. They're just sort of modifying our symptoms or I would call them pain relief activities. So they're going to help us feel a little bit better. And it doesn't mean it's a band-aid and you're ignoring the issue. It just means that you're offloading that structure a little bit, making it feel a little bit better, which can then allow you to get on with your rehab, which is the most important part for fully fixing that injury and then preventing it in the future. Now, the rehab, I will break it down into four phases. And probably everyone will break it down differently. Like each physio would do this a little bit differently, but this is how I'd break it down. I think it's probably the easiest way to think about it. So phase one is deloading. Now deloading or temporarily modifying our training, it is not resting. Please do not get that confused for resting. It's a deload. Okay, I'll go into that in a little bit. Phase two is building slash restoring strength. Phase three is restoring plyometric capacity. And phase four is returning to running slash usual running routine slash returning to hills, distance, sprints, blah, blah, blah. So that final phase is really just like return to sport phase. And I don't want that to be confused to think that you aren't getting to uh, return to sport prior to that, but it means returning to like that full fully fleshed out version of whatever it is that you're trying to return to. So that will look a little bit different for everyone. Um, Okay, phase one, deloading slash temporarily modifying. Now, what you need to understand is that resting our Achilles tendon is actually contraindicated, which means it is the worst thing you can do. Completely resting is going to decrease our tendon's capacity to handle load. And What did I say right at the start was really important for our tendon or increasing our risk of tendinopathy is when our load gets, when our capacity gets decreased. So if you have a complete rest, your capacity to handle load is going to just drop down and down and down. So we decondition once we rest. So if we can, we don't actually want to completely stop running. We just want to find an amount of running that we can do without flaring up our symptoms. Now, Flaring up your symptoms, what I'm going to say that means is when our pain is sort of spiking and dropping every time we run. So we feel good, we go for a run, and then we're really sore afterwards. That's like when our pain is sort of spiking. Um, And typically, you know, we feel pretty good. Pain's like 1 out of 10, 2 out of 10, and then you run. It's like a 7 out of 10 the next day, and you're like, ah, damn it. Like, I thought it was feeling good, and now it's worse again. And that often happens when people you know, completely rest or they have like five days off and then they go back to normal. They have two weeks off and then go back to normal. And it's like this sort of peaking and troughing and resting and and running. And and we don't actually, uh, we don't actually recover. We just decrease that tendon's capacity to handle load and it just drops and drops and drops and we just never really get better. So that's a really common mistake I see. Uh, What we do want is when we are trying to find an amount of running that we can do that is going to deload the tendon is we're aiming to have minimal pain, but it doesn't have to be no pain. No pain is awesome. And obviously the goal long-term is no pain, but we can actually just have a one to two, even a three out of 10 pain consistently. That is fine. There's actually totally nothing wrong with that. And in the research, they have patients that are still in that two to three out of 10 pain uh, when they're running and it's fine. So we ideally just want that pain to be relatively low and relatively stable. We don't want it spiking and troughing because when it's low and stable, we can maintain a nice consistent volume and we are able to then do the rehab for the tendon and then gradually build back our volume. Uh, And that is going to be the most efficient way to do it. Now, unfortunately, there isn't any sort of black and white, all right, we must drop by 50% volume. We must drop by 70%. It's going to be a little bit different Uh, patient to patient, runner to runner, depends on your injury history, depends on your tendon capacity, depends on your uh, strength in your soleus and your gastrocnemius. So there's a lot of factors and hence why seeing a professional can really be helpful because they're going to take an individualized approach. They'll be able to assess 
what is actually important to you and give you the right rehab. Okay, so um, that is the phase one, reducing our running volume. And let me just give you an example. Let's say you run 70Ks a week. You have pain in your Achilles. Uh, I would, this is one that I frequently use with patients. I tend to go for a day on, day off approach. So let's say you run six days a week. I'm going to drop you down to like three or four days a week. Do that day on, day off. And really paying attention to how that pain is Uh, the morning after our run because we don't want it spiking up we can't just trust how it feels during the run because usually they feel pretty good but more paying attention that pain the next day if that pain is pretty stable two to three out of ten then we can progress have that day as a rest and then go to our next run day Uh, but remember individualized care is going to be the most efficient and the best Phase two is the strengthening phase, the best phase of all, and it is about building and restoring strength or building and restoring capacity. So frequently we can start with isometrics. Now, this is when we do a an activity that requires uh, motor unit recruitment, but no actual moving of the muscle. So that would be when you are at the top of a calf raise and you're just paused in that position. So This is an exercise which used to be heavily promoted in the literature, but now is not seen to be any more efficient or any better than the other sort of exercises that we do. Uh, It's just something that I guess is an added bonus or just like something that you can do if you find it pain relieving. So don't worry too much about that if you're not really following, but basically isometrics are a great thing to do if we can't find anything else that is pain relieving but it's not essential. And personally, I wouldn't be too worried about doing them. Uh, If you really want to, you could do them on like your rest days, like just some paused calf raises. Um, Or if you're in lots of pain, go for it. And if they feel good, again, go for it. Uh, I actually do them as a warm-up for my hamstring, but that's a whole separate situation. Uh, But okay, we've done isometrics. Next phase and the most important part in the strengthening is heavy, slow resistance. So Tendons thrive under slow and heavy weights. So we're not trying to rapidly contract the tendon. We're trying to put some heavy force on it and get it to be loaded in that slow way. Okay. Um, Something that I uh, also need to highlight is that we aren't trying to do heaps of reps. So doing like 10, 15, 20 reps of a calf raise is unfortunately not going to be very beneficial for that tendon because they thrive under heavy loads. And once we are doing beyond like eight reps, 10 reps, 15 reps, it's not really considered a heavy load because we can do so many repetitions. Um, It's just not heavy enough. When our load is really heavy, we can only do six to eight reps. Okay. Load is really heavy. So that's why I'm defining heavy load. Now, Something that Rich Willie said when I was at the running symposium quite recently in Melbourne at La Trobe University. Um, Rich Willie is a researcher, runner, physiotherapist at Montana Running Lab. Uh, and he said, tendons get bored quickly. And I just thought that was such a nice, easy way to sort of simplify how the tendons respond to load. So tendons get bored too quickly. So think low reps. If we do too many reps, they're going to get bored and they're not going to be responsive to those increased reps. So think they're bored quickly. So less reps is better. Um, They're also going to respond better to like more tensile loading. So when they get loaded in stretched positions, so thinking about the types of positions in running that are going to load those tendons. So when we are in more dorsiflexion, when that toe is coming higher up, when that knee is going over the toe. So we want to try and replicate that in the gym or when we're doing our strengthening or our capacity building phase. We want to try and replicate that. So dropping your heel over the edge of a step when you do your calf raise is going to get more Achilles tendon loading uh, and it's going to be uh, more productive for um, that tendon to actually respond and adapt and become stronger. Okay. Note though, if you have got an insertional Achilles tendinopathy, this movement might be particularly irritating for you right now. And you may not be ready for this straight away. So you might not be able to do this exercise until a couple of weeks through your rehab journey. And it might come on later. Eventually you've got to do it because it needs to be exposed to these painful movements, but it just might not be there yet. So that's that's really important to to know. And again, where, why having a physio is so beneficial and helpful because they're going to be able to tell you when you're ready for the next thing. Okay. Um, so just a summary of that. I would be aiming for six to eight reps doing something as simple as a calf raise. So 
plantar flexing calf raise, standing over the edge of a step and bringing your heel all the way down, all the way up between six and eight reps. And it should be loaded up nice and heavy. And unfortunately, if you um, don't have any weights or anything heavy to load it up with, um, you're simply just not going to get enough load. Body weight is just not enough. And th- this is backed by research. It is not me trying to tell everyone to go to the gym because you definitely don't have to do it at the gym, but you do need to find a way to make those six to eight reps feel incredibly hard. You should feel like you can only do one or two more reps if you absolutely have to. So you've finished eight reps and you're like, oh, maybe I can get out one more or two more, but that would be my absolute max. So either you're at the gym, you're going to hold on to a dumbbell, a kettlebell, a barbell on your back. You could do it in those machines that have the little pads sitting on your shoulder. Uh, you could do it um, with a backpack and some weights in your backpack. You could do it holding a bag of rice, a bag of pasta, like whatever you've got at home, um, use it. That is fine, but it just needs to be hard and heavy. So I would do three to four rounds, six to eight reps, nice and heavy. Okay, so that is phase two, done and dusted, restoring strength. Phase three, plyometrics. Now, plyometrics are about restoring that stretch stretch and shortening capacity of the tendon. So we want our tendon to become like a string. Now, this phase I feel is frequently missed in a lot of people's rehab. People tend to do their calf raises, they get a bit stronger, And then they don't restore plyometric capacity. They go, oh yeah, my tendon's not sore anymore. I can run. That's it. I'm done. I'm dusted. No more work. But if we haven't restored tendon stiffness and the ability for our tendon to work like a spring, we will likely run into trouble at some point in time. Or if that tendon is just not working well, we might end up having injuries further up the chain, like a knee or a hip, hamstring, quads, glutes, somewhere else is going to suffer for that decreased efficiency down at our ankle. Okay. Um, With plyometrics, I would really seek guidance from a physio to tell you when you're ready, because if we start adding plyometrics very early, we will very quickly run into trouble because plyometrics are essentially jumping exercises. And we know that that puts a huge load through our Achilles, particularly when we're trying to jump really high, which plyometrics usually involve. And if we're not ready for that, we will potentially go backwards in our rehab. So important to have that individualized care, but it is an important part of recovery. So I would even encourage any runner, if you don't have this injury, to start doing some plyometrics because uh, this is just going to improve your performance and reduce your risk of injury because your tendon is just going to be working more efficiently. So with a plyometric, I think the absolute best thing for a runner is working on a pogo hop. Now, a pogo hop is just imagine a pogo stick, one of those long sticks that people would like jump on. You're trying to go up and down as fast as possible and as high as possible. So we're trying to spend the least amount of time on the ground, basically. We want our legs to be relatively stiff, not too much bend through our knees or hips. It is not a squat jump. It is a sort of stiff-ish looking leg hop. Now, this exercise is actually really hard and it requires both coordination and strength and obviously plyometric capacity or, or power through our Achilles tendon, which is what we're working on. So I would start off with a double leg and if that's even too hard, you could do a double leg, but with your hands supported on a wall or hands supported on a bar overhead. You could even hold on to a resistance band, which you've got looped over a bar. There's lots of different ways you can do it. Um, and I'm actually going to link you to a blog article by Mechanics of Movement, Luke, uh, who is a fantastic, fantastic physiotherapist and we've had him on the podcast before. So I'm going to link you to his article because He's got, well, article, blog post. He's got a fantastic blog post taking you through uh, the basics when it comes to Achilles tendon loading. And he talks about some drills that you can do to get ready for the pogo hop. And then he talks you through how to progress from a double leg pogo hop to a single leg pogo hop. Now, the main things to note are that you're basically just trying to progressively improve and gradually improve and increase the load of that tendon and get it to work better and become more like a spring. So starting with double legs, you might do it day on day off or a couple of days a week. You don't need to do it every day. You don't need to do it twice a day. It is quite intensive training. So if you are doing it multiple times a day, you're probably not, probably not working at the highest intensity that you could. 
Okay. Uh, but it's just important to note that if you only do sing- double leg pogo hops and you don't progress that to a single or progress to a harder version of that exercise, you're not really getting any stronger. You're just sort of maintaining what you have. So that's just a, a fundamental principle for any type of training. If you're doing the same thing, you're not actually going to get any change. So we have to gradually, progressively uh, introduce more load to that tendon or more intensity. Okay. Um, and then our final phase is returning to sport slash returning to our desired running volume or desired heel work or desired speed work. Now, this is going to look a little bit different to everyone or for everyone. And when I'm saying this is final phase, it doesn't mean that you don't get to run at all or you don't get to start building up your running volume whilst you are working through those other phases. Because things like calf raises um, and plyometric work, I think should be a part of every runner's um, week because it's just so important. We know that the calves work the hardest when we run. So having them strong and robust is just so important. And it's just the biggest mistake that I say all runners do is just not be strong in their calves. So, uh, you know, that calf raise work should just be something that you're doing all the time anyway. So whilst I'm saying that the last phase is returning to increasing our running volume, those other things should just be interwined with our running program. And as we start to return to running faster, running to heels. And as I've said before, I'd really seek guidance from a professional to help you interwine um, the progression and individualize that progression of, you know, increasing our speed, returning to the heels whilst we build up our capacity with our strength and our plyometrics. Um, It's just important to note that if we haven't got the capacity from a strength perspective or a plyometric, you know, spring-like perspective, Our ability to run on heels or run fast or run in barefoot shoes or, you know, do all those things uh, will be limited. So we'll have to forever manage our load so tightly and so restrictively. uh, And it would be far better if we just really build our capacity and and improve our strength, improve our plyometric power, because, you know, then we can just handle whatever we want to throw at ourselves, whatever life throws at us. So If we want to run up the big hills, if we want to run fast, we can because we've got the capacity. Uh, Okay, so um, summary of those four phases are phase one, deload, phase two, restore strength, phase three, restore plyometric capacity or power, and phase four, return to sport slash return to speed and heels and desired running volume. Okay, Uh, I'm going to link those articles or the blog post um, from Tom uh, and from Luke, so Sports Cairo Luke and Mechanics of Movement. So one about Achilles tendon loading and one about how the Achilles acts as a spring. And you guys can read those. Uh, And just lastly, a listener question from Chris. Now, Chris said, I've had Achilles tendonopathy for 18 months now. Could long-term pain in this area suggest any other potential issues? Now, firstly, thank you, Chris, for asking the question. Um, Secondly, unfortunately, because... I can't see you in person and ask you more questions and get more details. Uh, my advice right now is limited. And pretty much, I think every physio's favorite thing to say is it depends, but it does depend. There are lots of factors. Uh, but questions that I have for you, uh, do you know what is truly loading your Achilles? Because it is individualized. And I've gone through quite a few mechanical risk factors. So things like footwear, um, you know, barefoot shoes, running with a forefoot style of uh, a forefoot pattern, um, heel work, speed work, like there's lots of things that are going to affect the load on your Achilles. So I guess, Chris, do you know what things are actually flaring up your Achilles? Because if we can get a really good handle on what things are loading your Achilles, not just, oh, I did too much running volume, um, like actually really flesh it out and be like, oh, like I tend to get more Achilles pain when I wear my ultra shoes. And I tend to get more Achilles pain when I'm running in the bush because I'm doing more hills or when I'm doing more speed work. So trying to really flesh out what it is, or maybe you've got an assertion Achilles tendinopathy and it's actually a specific shoe that just tends to actually put heaps of pressure on the back of your Achilles. And maybe you can um, go through all your shoes right now and just like try them all on and be like, oh, my Achilles is actually getting more compressed in this position so or in this footwear. So maybe this this shoe, and maybe I haven't quite realized it, that this shoe just seems to be the one that's like flaring it up. So having a really good understanding of 
what things might be increasing the load on your Achilles and trying to get really clear about that so that you can manage that load. It doesn't mean uh, uh, totally remove that load, but just manage it. Uh, I guess the other thing on that is just like outside of running. I think when we have running injuries, we tend to forget about the fact that we are loading our body uh, all throughout the day and you might work on your feet and you might be wearing shoes during your day job that are irritating an insertion Achilles tendopathy or they're a flat shoe and so you're just loading that Achilles and so throughout the day you're getting a little bit more work a little bit more work and maybe we could offload it throughout the day so it's nice and rested so then when we go for our run um, it's had a little bit of a break and we're just you know finding ways to decrease that volume. Uh, I guess the next things that I would look at Chris would be you know have you truly managed your volume and and have you been able to have really consistent sort of low pain or have you fallen into that pain trap where you've had your pain spike, pain drop, pain spike, pain drop? Um, yeah, that, that's probably the next thing to ask. Um, so that's from a loading perspective. The next part is your capacity. You know, I've gone through this in the whole episode, but I guess this is just a bit of a case. So yeah, is your capacity actually strong? So I keep talking about the plantar flexors, but you know, we have got our plantar flexors, which are made up of our soleus and our gastrox, and they actually both work a little bit differently. And there are some tests that you can do in the gym to actually identify maybe which one's stronger. So straight leg tends to bias the gastroc, bent leg tends to bias the soleus or the soleus. So if you do a calf raise with your knee bent, you're going to get more load through the soleus. So you might find that you're really strong on your straight leg calf raises, but you're actually really weak on the bent leg. So maybe that is your little missing piece from a capacity perspective. Another one could be you've done heaps of strength work, but you actually haven't done the plyometrics. So you haven't actually finished your rehab and, you know, plyometrics are the third stage. They're not even the final stage. So yeah, maybe you haven't restored that power. Uh, And then probably lastly, which I touched on earlier, if we've had a chronic injury, we could have some sign of some types of degenerative or signs of degenerative change in that tendon. And when we've had injury for a really long time, we may not actually be able to truly like fix that degenerative tissue or repair that degenerative tissue. Maybe you've had some tears in there in the past. Now, uh, I don't want to be, I guess, tears sound so dramatic, don't they? You might just have had some little small micro tears. Um, But regardless, there could be some scar tissue in there. And this is okay. This is not the end of the world. If this has happened, it may not ever actually change from a an imaging perspective. Like you might do all the rehab in the world, but go and get an ultrasound and there will still be signs of degeneration in that tendon. But that doesn't mean that your rehab and your ability to run is limited because we know that the body is forever adaptable and we can always improve our capacity to handle load. So whilst we may not actually change that specific degenerative fiber we can build all the other fibers around that tendon to be stronger um, stiffer um, more spring-like and more better able to handle load so whilst there could be some degeneration which might mean that you have to work a little bit harder to build capacity because you're just trying to I guess build stronger tendon around that degenerative type tissue you can definitely still get there it might just take a little bit longer And then probably the only other one to consider is other injuries. So like maybe you've got something going on up the chain. Maybe you've got a knee niggle on that side, a hip niggle on that side. And maybe you've got a deficit in your hamstrings or your hip flexors or something else going on on that side, which is causing you to take an increased amount of load in that Achilles, just like in a weird way that, you know, you probably wouldn't if you're a little bit stronger. Like maybe you had an ACL injury on that side. And so you're just a bit weaker on that leg in general. Uh, there could be so many things. And again, this is why seeing a professional to actually flesh these things out with you. They'll be able to do some strength testing, some mobility testing, have a look at your running biomechanics, having a look at your footwear, having a look at your sleep and your diet and your energy availability, your training history, your overall volume or intensity, your heels, your like there is so much to take into consideration. And I guess hopefully this episode will give you some appreciation for all the things that we have to consider and highlight the importance of seeking a professional, but also hopefully this can be a resource for 
anyone listening to come back to and go, oh, like I've had these multiple injuries or I've, I've had this Achilles pain. How can I treat it? How can I help it? Like it's going to be a bit of that guidance and it should not replace seeking a professional, but you might use this just to, you know, guide that end stage rehab or make sure you're on the right track or prevent you from getting an injury in general. Uh, and that is it guys. Thank you so much for listening. This is probably one of the longest solo episodes. I was trying to be so concise and so quick and it is so hard to get through all of this stuff concisely and quickly when you're someone like me who likes to blab. Um, hopefully you listened on like two times speed. So you just like shot through this in half an hour. Um, but if not, well, that's all right. You hopefully enjoyed the journey and probably we're taking notes or maybe you're listening on your long run and that's okay too uh thank you so 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 much for listening and i know that you will have gotten heaps out of it so i'm really excited for you to apply that to your running and improve your capacity and run injury free like we all love now if you want some individualized help or advice you can actually see me at the running room in clavelli or roselle in sydney or online via telehealth so I do offer telehealth and there is a lot that we can cover in a telehealth consult and you definitely don't need to be seen in person because as you guys know, basically everything I went through, uh, there's not any talk of massage or hands-on treatment. So yes, massage can be beneficial, helpful, blah, 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 but there's a lot that we can do by managing your load and uh, prescribing a strength program. So yeah guys book in if you are interested come and visit me and i have a sneaky little discount offer so if you book in online and you type the words stronger stride you will get your first two sessions 50 percent off so yeah guys do that um snag the deal and get injury free and also you can just reach out on the dms if you've got any questions too because I will also reply to those eventually. I'm a little bit slow on the DMs, but I will get back to you. So if you've got any questions, hit me up, send them through. I will help you out if you need it. And that is way too much chit chat from me. So thank you for coming. Um, as always, guys, like and subscribe. Great show. Tell your friends. 